Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all. The one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm great. We got to the end of a, another awesome week, and uh, we we got a, we we have a guest tonight. And that's uh, that's always fun. This has been a fun week, and we're ending the week with a fun show, and uh, with as about a fun uh, about as fun a guest as as you can imagine. So let's go ahead and bring her out. Our guest this evening is a woman who wears many hats. She's known for being a writer, a filmmaker, a model, an actress, and more recently, she's been focusing more on her work as a coach and holistic educator for women. Uh, While there are some who would say she is a living proof that goddesses walk among us. She's a good friend of this show and a co-author of our book, Visions for a World Transformed. Radha Nilia, welcome to the World Transformed. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back on the show. It's been far too long, and I'm just happy to be with you guys here. Well, we're delighted to have you back on as well, and since it has been a while, I think we've got to do a little bit of catching up. First off, I mentioned you're a co-author of the book. Anyone who's got the paperback edition, probably their book opens right to page 177, where we find Rada's <laughs> uh, essay on teach connectedness in schools. Tell us a little bit about uh, about that, the piece that you wrote for us, and uh, uh, what, what inspired you to do that. Well, I love children. I think that they, they're they obviously the future. They grow up, they become adults, they become the leaders. And I really believe that that's where it all starts is with the kids and teaching them ways of being and thinking um, that empowers them is really important. It creates a foundation so that they can be strong leaders, they can be strong thinkers, they can know how to manage their energy and um, really step into their full potential because I believe as humans we have so much potential and sometimes it's squeezed a little bit. We don't understand our full potential because we haven't been awakened to what's possible and how to use our energy properly. So when you start with kids, I think that is pretty much the roadmap for the blueprint for the future. You know, it's really, it's really interesting when you talk about energy and I think it's true. It, it, needs, to, it needs to start soon, I, as, as early as you can, getting, getting people to, to focus on that. That, that sounds like, um, Stephen and I, we just did a show that was very way out uh, on Wednesday of this week. We, we, we covered <laughs> yeah. a lot of uh, what we call tales of the paranormal type, uh, type topics. Ooh, and, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, and when we start talking about a person's energy, um, they, you know, there's a tendency to think, oh, these guys are going off on the... Uh, on the wacky side again, and you know maybe, which is fine. We we like to, we like to go there. But I've just been reading this book, uh, actually listening to it because Stephen's got me hooked on Audible. This book called Willpower, and it's written by uh, John Tierney and a an academic whose last name is not hard for me to remember. It's Baumeister, so he's got a very similar name to my own. Oh. But they they talk about how we control our own behavior, how our our behavior has to do with this 
kind of force of will, which is a very old-fashioned way of looking at it, but it has to do mm-hmm. with this energy that gets depleted. And mm-hmm. as, as people go through the day or as they go through their lives or as they go through the week, whatever the period of time is, they, 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 there, there is a marked difference in how well they're able to respond to any situation based on what they've had to be dealing with leading, leading up to that. I'm not doing a good job of describing it, but it's a, it's a really interesting book because it, it takes on this, this kind of old-fashioned idea of willpower and it describes it very much in terms of kind of this human energy that we that we carry around mm-hmm. in us. Well, I, let me give you a for example, Phil. I mean, you you've uh, ever known somebody that uh, is quitting smoking and they gain 20 pounds? Right. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's it's not because you know that necessarily they're just putting something different in their mouth. It's that they've uh, they're done. They've they've spent all their willpower on not smoking. And they've got no willpower left to say no to the cheesecake or whatever, right? Right. It's it's, it's spent, and uh, that's I, I I I buy into that. I believe that completely. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that really got my attention is they 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 referenced some research early on, where some kids they were four year old kids were in this room, and the challenge was uh, we're going to give you a marshmallow and you can either eat it or not eat it, but if you don't eat it when we come back we're going to give you another marshmallow. Okay, so it's this uh, this this test of willpower for these kids and you know some kids waited and some kids ate the marshmallow right away and some waited a while but then ended up uh, <laughs> eating the marshmallow but, <laughs> but 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 what they found is if you follow the arc of these kids through life what they did in that situation is very predictive to a whole lot of outcomes in their lives later the kids who waited for the marshmallow ended up um, being in better shape they ended up getting better grades they ended up you know not going to jail you know th- those those kinds of things it, it was it was this really interesting uh, correlation because very little it turns out of what what uh, kids do can be predictive in psychological studies for what happens later in life but this was one example where where it is and again it has to do with this kind of you know how well even at a very young age they're managing this mm-hmm. this this the kind energy. of core energy yeah so yeah it's, a, <laughs> it, it's really pretty cool actually i'll send you a link you might want to you, you you would be in fact you know what i'll include a link in the show notes so everyone can uh, check out this book i recommend uh Everybody, yeah, I'd uh, love that because I, I got, I'm hooked on Audible. Like when I go to sleep, I love to listen to Audible, and I'm always looking for good ones. So I'm writing that down. Thanks. Another Audible fan, Stephen. So. <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to start paying this show. They, they really they are. Should they should pay us. <laughs> yeah, we we advertise them <laughs> at least once a week, yes, yeah. for sure. Okay, so, so that was uh, it was a wonderful section that you wrote for the book. And let's talk uh, – about what you've got going on now, because it's some, it's some pretty interesting, pretty exciting stuff. Thanks. Well, I've been coaching women and working with women, self-development and um, empowerment for quite some time now. And um, I just realized that I really need to step up because now they're wanting to learn more, learn more from the perspective that they can, they can be empowered by doing it themselves. So I created certain programs, and I'm, I created an academy, Goddess Code Academy for Women, and I'm just um, kind of opening up to, I want to help more women. I want to work with more women, but obviously I'm one person, so I think if I created a, a school, then more women would have access to what I'm teaching, so I'm really excited about that. 
So we're, we're, we're working on a way to scale RADA, basically. Is that the idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, That's a worthy goal, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The world yeah. needs, needs more RADA. So, so tell us about the, the, the Goddess Code Academy. What, uh, what can women uh, who sign on for this expect? What, wh where, where does it lead them? Well, it's very exciting because I ha I'm creating many programs, but the one I have coming up right now is um, Kuan Yin, Kuan Yin Activations. And it's six weeks spending time really getting the essence, the energy, the understanding of Kuan Yin. And Kuan Yin is a goddess of mercy and compassion. And in our world right now, we're in a place where there's so much going on, we really need to slow down inside and connect to that compassion for ourselves, for each other. And it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's about the energy of, of Kuan Yin. So she brings like this peace that we can experience. And, she, and it's a teaching. So in six weeks, they're going to learn how to use that energy. They're going to get certified and they can they can practice that every day. I'm I'm interested in Kuan Yin. My my wife and I we were in Malaysia. Uh, th this would have been about ten years ago. A trip a trip we took there. We were on the island of Penang, and the the big town in Penang is Georgetown, the big city, the biggest city up there in the in the northern part of Malaysia, and uh, mm. typical Southeast Asian you know crowded streets. Uh, you know, a lot going on marketplace. And, and there's this one street, you're just, you're, you're going down the street and there's hawker stalls and there's, there's, you know, shops selling goods. And then there's this temple to Kuan Yin and then there's more hawker stalls. And there's, and it's really interesting. It's just like, you know, <laughs> built right into the street. There's this, mm -hmm. I don't know, two or 300 year old uh, temple to Kuan Yin. You go in and it's just this wonderful little island of tranquility right mm. in the, the, the middle of this busy, bustling street. It really made this, this huge impression on us because we just literally kind of stumbled into it as we're, uh, as, as, we're, as we're walking along in Georgetown. And we're wow. interested to see, and, and I don't know if there was a connection between these two things, we, we, we actually took a tour of a big Buddhist temple later that day, a real famous temple in, in Penang, which is called the, uh, oh, I, I, I can't think of the name of it. It's the Kongs, uh, oh, excuse me, Kok, Kek Lok Si Temple, that's it. Biggest Buddhist mm. temple in Southeast Asia, built out, out of town, up on this hill, this beautiful, beautiful edifice, you know, built by the Chinese uh, immigrants who've been living in Malaysia for, for hundreds of years. Um, just a really impressive place. And as you walk into it, standing there, overlooking the whole thing, there's this like 100-foot bronze statue of Kuan Yin. She's like, she, 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 she's like overlooking the whole, uh, the whole scene. And I, I always wondered yeah. if her presence there had something to do with the fact that that town already had kind of a Quan uh, uh, Yin devotion going on. But I've, I've, I've never, I've never found that out. Um, but, it, but it's, it's always interesting to see how uh, the different belief systems sort of cross fertilize and mm -hmm. reinforce each other. I wonder if that, uh, if the word for that goddess is related to uh, Koinia, uh, the Greek uh, word that uh, um, it means uh, basically fellowship, sharing, and common communion. Mm. Uh, oh, oh, that's interesting. It's, uh, it, it occurs uh, like, I don't know, 20 times in the Bible. And uh, I wonder if that word mm -hmm. is related to the word for the goddess. So that's interesting. That is very interesting. 
Yeah. Because she is kind of, it? Okay. this is wrong to say, and I'll get in trouble for saying this with <laughs> a lot of people, but I'll just throw it out here. She's kind of like the Virgin Mary of Eastern religions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, sort of. It's, it's right? true. Yeah, I mean, she's the ultimate mother of compassion, enlightenment, about living in peace and harmony, and really teaching us what love is, and also how to surrender to love. Um, so it doesn't really matter what you you know, what you believe in matters, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to stick to anything as when you connect with her energy. It's just more of the energy and the essence of love and, and coming into this place of compassion and really bringing that into yourself and into the world because we, re- we really need that right now more than anything, you know, more than anything I'd say. We need compassion for ourselves and each other and I think we can figure out a lot of problems coming from that space of compassion. I think it's a great place to start looking at the world. And, you know, Stephen, it sounds like based on uh, what Rada just said, it does tie in very closely to the concept that you were talking about. That's oh, yeah. really interesting. The, word, the words, I mean, her name sounds so, uh, so close to that, to that Greek word. I just wonder if there's some connection. It could just be one because of those coincidences. It, it, it could, yeah, and it could just be a coincidence. But, but that's, really, well, that's well, interesting. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times um, the goddesses cross-connect, and yeah. like Venus and Aphrodite, and um, even, even Venus is part of Ishtar and so on. They're, they all have... A, a, a thread that flows through them. Right. right. So it doesn't really matter. It cross-pollinates across cultures, yeah, doesn't it? The, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But speaking of cultures, what, what, what is all this going to mean to, like, you know, the modern, skeptical, technocentric woman? Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, the people who listen to this program, right? we got a lot yeah. of atheists out there. Love our atheist friends. we got a lot of uh, not only atheists, but real hardcore materialists. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're We've got Absolutely. a very limited, stri- I'm sorry, not limited, very strict worldview. I didn't mean to say limited, folks. Mm-hmm. A very strict mm-hmm. worldview about, um, you know, what what they can accept as real and, and what they're not ready to engage with. What does any of this Absolutely. have to say to somebody like that? This is, if you, if you, if you can't, if you want to look at it from the perspective of I want to practice compassion for myself, it, it really doesn't matter, you know, you can be a skeptic or not a skeptic. Everything about this work is really heart-centered and coming back to the heart. And that's where we've lost our, our connection with each other, with, the, with what's going on with the world, is we've disconnected from our hearts, right? So we're all up in our heads and we're all skeptical and, you know, nervous and, and all this stuff. But really, we really need to come back to our hearts because that's where our power is. You know, our heart is our is where our true, our first brain is, as far as I'm concerned. Um, when we start thinking from our hearts, we we really think from an empowered place, and it's when we get nervous or we're not sure, we are too quick to judge that we we're not really allow we're not allowing the gifts of this universe to come in. So, it's not about what you what you're believing or not believing. It's about kind of just accepting as trying to practice to have compassion for yourself and being easy, being easy with the inner critic, you know, and when you start there, then things start to soften. You can receive more, you can feel more. So I I think it's really for anybody. Yeah. I I, I love anytime you talk about telling the inner critic to take a rest, I think is probably a, 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 a wonderful idea. And I've, and I've linked this story 
And I, I can't help but see a connection here. For those who might be attracted to this kind of thing, but, but they're afraid they're going to be getting involved in woo. That's the word they use for uh, – Stephen, <laughs> yeah. that's the word I was trying to think of the other day when I said cuckoo. Uh, woo was the <laughs> Yeah, you were trying, you're trying to uh, get me to help you with it, and then you lost me. I didn't know what you were Yeah, you couldn't think of woo either. Because, you know, that's why, Stephen, it's because that's how hard-nosed we are. We couldn't even think of the word woo. But – but uh, I, saw this, I saw this story, and I thought this was really interesting. This, this was at The Guardian, and the headline is, I knew they were sugar pills, but I felt fantastic. And this is the rise of open-label placebos, people who have mm. real somatic conditions mm-hmm. taking sugar pills, knowing they're taking sugar yeah. pills, <laughs> and yet still getting mm-hmm. the placebo effect and still you know, having these wonderful uh, benefits in their lives. And I think, well, there you go. There it is right there. You don't... Um, you don't even have to believe that there's an effective ingredient for something to work mm-hmm. if you just let go and say, uh, you know, this sounds like this might help me. I'm, I'm going to give this a try. Yeah. Well, I think just the pausing twice a day, let's say, uh, you take this two times a day, pausing twice a day to think about, okay, now I'm going to do something proactive for this whatever mm-hmm. it is and to think about it and, and to do it. Uh, you know, just that act you know, it, it may cause some some physiological change. It's that to me, that's mm-hmm. remarkable, though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. And and if you and if you can change your body, surely you can change your mind and your outlook and your emotions. Um, mm-hmm. Even even if all the goddess talk makes you initially uncomfortable, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe. Yeah, it's give it a shot intention. here. You know? the, the intention that we put behind it and so forth, like. Okay, we don't know if this sugar pill is going to work, but we're going to do it, and we're going to think every time I do this, hey, it might help this issue. That's and and you're you're making that intention. You're stopping and you're kind of breaking the pattern. And I think that's what a lot of healing is is or is breaking the pattern of thought that keeps this whatever energy in 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 the cycle right so exactly it does it does shift it does shift because we intend it to do so but also the attention to do so in a certain environment like if you're doing the sugar pill for four weeks and for four weeks you're like i'm this might work this may work wow who knows you know in four weeks something might shift so it's really about the intention and and there is just this quality of letting go of the rational mind and saying, mm-hmm. I don't know why this is going to work, but I think this might work. This, the, you know, I'm, I'm seeing other people benefit from this and maybe I could too. You know, that, that's, it, yeah, it comes, surrender. It comes down to I that. I, I, uh, I heard an atheist say this, uh, this phrase one time. Um, I, I thought it was interesting what he said. He said, you know, the family that prays together stays together, even if there's no God. <laughs> you know, sometimes you know, you know the the activity, the uh, the doing, you know, uh, doing something proactive toward, towards, mm-hmm. you know, even if you, you know, even if you know it's a sugar pill, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's so true. Yeah, very interesting. Well, let's uh, let's let's shift it now. We're going to look at some slightly more uh, geeky technology type stuff just for you know those who are listening to the show you can relax now okay we're getting we're going to we're going to come you know we're, we're going to say we're going to take it in that direction although we're, we're going to stay with this uh with the same basic idea of you know these kind of deep level changes that that can emanate from inside ourselves this this is a really really interesting story that was on uh 
uh, what site was this on? It was actually on the BBC site of all places, talking about the most promising route to what they're describing as mental superpowers. And I'm always all about the superpowers because, I, as I've said many times, I believe the future of humanity is that we'll be sexy, immortal billionaires with superpowers. So that's the, 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 the direction we're heading in. And, and mental superpowers are a big piece of that. In fact, Stephen, as you often point out, it's the most important superpower, right? It's the one we need. That's right. Once we get that, everything else comes along, right? That's right. You, you, you need that one to drive the others. What they're talking about in this story is functional MRI research. And, and what it's showing is the incredible power that the brain has once you have kind of a feedback loop, once you're able to mm-hmm. see what's happening in your brain and to interact with that, to control just about every aspect of what their brain does, right up to controlling pain, which I thought was a really interesting one. But, but there's other research that shows that uh, people ho- hooked to a, an fMRI, they, you know, they can see what their brain is doing and begin to interact with that, and they can control their eating and lose weight better. Or they can control um, ADHD symptoms. Um, there, there are studies that show the elderly can address their cognition, right, by, again, by having that feedback loop and looking, looking at what their brain is doing and, and, and being able to interact with that. Now, Stephen, we were talking before the show and you actually made a connection between all this research. There's a growing body of research showing people are uh, using functional MRIs, so these, these brain scans, to, to take a better uh, like control of their mental life. And you, your immediate uh, association was back to the placebo story. Is that right? Yeah, you, you yeah. Think- I mean, um, if you think about it, uh, it's, uh, the placebo is, is again, you're taking, <laughs> you're, uh, you're taking control, right? Uh, even, the, uh, even though you know that uh, you, you, what you're taking uh, is, you know, there's no medicine in this pill. You, the, uh, you know, the brain is just a remarkable thing. You, you know, you, you can, you know, just by taking the action, you're, you're doing well. But, yeah, I would say with a functional uh, uh, MRI, uh, what, you're, what, what it is allowing you to do is to see in real time changes in your own brain. So if, if there's something that you're aiming for mentally, you know, uh, the zone or, or whatever, let's say. Right. You can see the zone. You got a, I mean, you got a visual representation of, of the mental state you're trying to get yourself in. Um, and, and, uh, and then, so, you know, if you start moving away from it, you know, okay, I'm, I'm doing something wrong, and you can train yourself to get there. You know, um, or maybe it's the state of mind that you need to be in to fall asleep. What if you're having trouble sleeping? You could train yourself uh, with with technology like that. It's amazing what you could do with that. And what what occurred to me, Rada, was uh, I, I've had a little experience with uh, energy healing, as as you describe it, the the kind of techniques that uh, that you're practiced in, and which I, I assume is related to what what goes on at the uh, the, the Goddess Code Academy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Basically, as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, what? What you're talking about is kind of the same thing, only without the fMRI, right? It's like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about helping people to achieve those same kind of results, only having the feedback loop internally, right, rather than, rather than having yeah. to hook up to a, a brain scan. <laughs> I, am, I am the feedback loop. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so, so I kind of check in with them, and then I kind of feel into them, and I kind of can, you know, kind of sense the energy and they feed back to me. So it's, it's an interesting, but I love this concept. I, I think I would love to do this. This is great. You know, uh, Phil, Phil, I uh, read about, 
uh, it was probably two or three years ago, I read about a, a study that were using a functional uh, MRI um, to, uh, to, to study uh, mystics. And someone who, you know, um, is able to uh, get in a state of mind where they're, uh, you know, they're communing with God or, or whatever, and they, uh, and they would watch this on the functional uh, MRI. And the part of the brain, it was interesting what was happening, the part of the brain that uh, um, makes one realize that you're an individual uh, was there was you know these people could get into this into the state of mind where that part of the brain was not not funky, not working or it was it, they just had shut that off and then other parts of the uh, of the brain that deal with a feeling of connectiveness were just lit up like a Christmas tree. Interesting. In, in this study, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was people that were known for like just uh, a, a, you know a static levels of prayer, and it and it and it went across uh, barriers. I mean, it was like they had like a nun, they had a Buddhist monk, they had you know people from all sorts of traditions, and this is what they found in every one of them. These these uh, these uh, these people that were able to do this, and it, it, I, I thought that was remarkable. Very interesting. Using yeah. using the same kinds of technique, you know, different outer. Uh, rituals, but the same technique ultimately kind of leading to the same brain state. Yeah, of course they didn't use this to get in that uh, state. They they had trained themselves to do it, but that's right. when they put them in the machine. That's what they saw, and that's interesting. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the examples given in this article is research that shows that these um, these monks can sit in a chilly room and you put a soaking wet towel on their back, which has got to feel very uncomfortable anyway, and they can mm. basically just dry it out. Okay, they're 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 sending you know, like controlling their own body's physiology to raise their body temperature in one spot, and and dry mm-hmm. out that towel even though they're sitting in a cold room with a with a wet towel. And that's you know, that's not anecdotal. That this is linked here. This is scientific research mm-hmm. showing those kinds of things happen. So, um, yeah, I I love the idea of getting one of those. I think it, it, when when technology will allow us to kind of carry an fMRI around with us at all times, that'll that'll be a <laughs> non-invasively. Yeah, you know, don't drill into my skull, please. Right. Well, yeah, I don't. We yeah. need, a, we need a, like a little cap that goes on. I'll, I'll wear a cap. You don't want to wear that hat like Dr. Brown has on at the beginning of uh, Back to the Future when Marty. First you know what this means, Marty? <laughs> Got that little suction cup thing right there. Yeah, you know. This thing doesn't work at all. <laughs> Somebody says something to you, and you go, "Wait, I gotta let me look at my smartphone here and see how I'm gonna react." <laughs> I'm the surprised they don't have these programs though already. You know, everyone should have them that they can put into their computer so they can get feedback and see what's going on. Um, yeah, I think I think that I, what what what's holding it back is the input device, yeah, right? It's yeah. A hard, yeah, it's a hardware issue now. Uh, I yeah, think how do you get it, how do you get that info from the brain, right? Yeah, uh, that's right. That's the that's the trouble. We need a you know, we got Siri. Now we need like a virtual Rada, right? Mm-hmm. We need somebody who can <laughs> give us that. <laughs> Cuz I'm I'm pretty sure if I ask my phone right now, Siri, how am I feeling? She's not going to help at all. She's going <laughs> to yeah, right. I, I it'd be kind of funny if she said fine. Don't worry, you're okay. Um, I'm actually suggest that to Apple. That's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, it'd be bad because yeah, they ended up being sued because you know I, well, was ble- I was bleeding out, and Siri told me I was fine. <laughs> yeah, Siri told me I was okay. That's a good. That's a good thing. What? That's but where does all lead? I'm sorry, ultimately, I'm sorry, Bill. That was, I, was, I was lawyering you. No. Yeah. Well, you can't help it. Um, the. Uh, 
you know, is is happiness. And and we're, we're not going to have time to get into this happiness and life satisfaction survey data, which I think is fascinating. We could do ser- a series of shows on this, Stephen, sometime mm-hmm. if we if we want to. But but it was updated this year, and I'll just draw your attention to one one question I have for the, the both of you. I think this is very interesting. If you look at the self-reported life satisfaction 2016, this color-coded map that they provide, and the dark green countries are the happiest countries in the world, and you've got Canada, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, <laughs> Germany, Ireland, Australia. Um, they're the happiest countries. You know? and, and then you've got the very sad, very unhappy countries, Tanzania, uh, South Sudan, and Central African Republic. You know, the misery index is highest, sadly, right there in the central part of Africa. Um, What's the common thread, right? What is it? The further, think, uh, the further away from the equator you live, the happier you are. I don't well, know. yeah, I, but, I noticed that. There's but that. Uh, generally, except that uh, Brazil, right? They're just as happy as the U.S. and we're sure. almost as happy as the top tier of happy countries. Yeah. So it's so it isn't that. What is it that's making these happy countries the happiest? Do you suppose? Any anyone who's looked at that, Rada? Any guesses? Any thoughts? Wow, it's a pretty big question there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, you know, I mean, I don't mean I, to put you, know, you on the I, spot, I, and you, you know, can no, say no, anything, no. and you'll be right. That's the beauty of I, this. <laughs> I'm, I mean, obviously, like we have, we have so much going for us. You know, we have, we we, we have so much. We have, we're abundant. You know. Um, well, the happiest place in the world is Sweden, right? I mean, that, is that? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And, uh, and it's not necessarily – Sweden is not the most, uh, you know, technologically developed. It's not the mm-hmm. richest place in the world, but it's, it's the happiest. Well, I think, I think it's really interesting. If you, if you think it's economics, it, it doesn't work very well because, for example, um, the U.S. should be then the happiest, right? But we're in the mm-hmm. second tier. And Mexico, which should be way down from us, is in the exact same tier we're in, right? So it's not it, there's there's not a simple mapping of economics to happiness. That's for well, sure. Well, we we uh, mentioned a study I don't know about six months ago, Phil, that said that uh, that money has to do with happiness up until about thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. If you're earning, yeah. you know, uh, if you earn ten thousand dollars and then you're, you're you find a way uh, a year and you find a way to earn fifteen thousand dollars a year, it does affect your happiness. Right. But once you get to thirty thousand dollars a year. Uh, if you earn, you know, the following year forty thousand dollars a year, it doesn't really impact your happiness after that. Very, very, very interesting. There's, and I, there's other things you have to you have to dig a little deeper spiritually, perhaps, uh, to find uh, yeah. greater happiness at that point. Now, I think, I think, I think maybe that. so. The the one the one thought I had was if you take Australia and New Zealand out, and you look at the rest of those countries: Canada, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Germany. Uh, maybe if you take Ireland out too, Iceland. Um, the happiest people in the world get a lot of snow, right? That was the only. <laughs> White Christmases. That's, that's it. Right? That was all I could figure, you know. It's, yeah, that's right. It's it's it, it's it's interesting, you know, to think that Russia is happier than India, right? Why? How come? What's going going on there? There's so many, you know, spiritual traditions and stuff in India. You would think that, uh, but there's so much poverty there too. So I don't, you know, I don't know. It's there's there's no good immediate formula that. Uh, that, that comes to mind that explains how happiness is distributed across the world, which, which I think is why probably um, rather than looking at the big averages, it's something that we have to keep addressing as individuals, right? That is something we have to work on mm-hmm. 
in in our own lives um, rather than rather than trying to fix it even for a whole nation at once. Oh, although, yeah. although if you have a happy nation, you, you know, if you, if you look at Canada or Australia, there's a lot of happy individuals there, right? That's what it's got to come mm-hmm. down to. Yep. A lot of people who have uh, who've been working on the happiness. Okay, well, you know what? I think that's going to do it. I know we're running a little bit over, but that's going to do it for the main body of the show. Uh, Rada, unless you have any parting thoughts on either happiness or fMRIs <laughs> or the goddess code or any of that stuff. Well, I, I mean, personally, I think life is an ebb and flow, and I think we, we're the creators of our own happiness. So we have to be responsible for that too. And, Fair enough. Um, and work towards it, whatever, whatever, whatever way is for our highest and best. So. Ah. That's a, good, that's a good parting thought on those topics, which takes us safely now to Other Geek. We, we didn't leave it on a low note. So Other, other Geek Time, uh, Stephen, you didn't have anything this week, but I've got no. uh, to report that I have finished reading, actually listening to on Audible, of course, uh, We Are Many, the, for We Are Many, the sequel to I Am Legion, I Am Bob. Uh, Rada, just to catch you up, this is a series of novels about a guy who how much of this am I allowed to spoil, Stephen? I think well, I can say. Whatever. Well, I think uh, I think we can we can say that uh, because it happens so early in the first book uh, that he's an uploaded uh, sentient being. Okay. Yeah. He, he starts life as a human, and um, he is now a uh, a space-faring uh, uh, sentient being. His mind got uploaded into a computer, which is now uh, he's making copies of himself and exploring the universe and. Oh, listeners okay. who are familiar with the idea of the von Neumann probe, that's, that's basically, uh, he, he's a von Neumann probe, a self-replicating uh, intelligence that is exploring the universe. And oh, the wacky stuff he runs into as he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, as he's trying to do it. But of course, it's a, it, originally it's a human consciousness, so this is a character that you can relate to. And each time he clones himself, it, you get a new Bob, and they always go by a different name, so you, you can you can keep them straight. But they they slowly be, become individual people, um, but they sort of keep in touch with each other, and they work on projects together as he as he as he spreads out across the universe. So I I enjoyed the first book very much. This is the second book, and I'm going to say um, I liked it quite a bit. I didn't like it as much as the first one, and I think. Um, here's here's my tips, completely uns, uh, unsolicited tips uh, tips to uh, is it Dennis Taylor is that the author's name I think so um, about where this series needs to go because I'm sure he's fascinated with what I have to say on this book. <laughs> um, I, you know I, I think that uh, we, we need to cover a lot more time, okay? Because I'm really interested in what happens. You've got these immortal characters. But we, we've, we've been very parsimonious in how much time we've covered so far, right? We're two books in, and we're about, I don't know, a century out, right? We're, we're, he's, he's, he's only taken us about a century out. Um, and I'm going to say um, I want some more complicated bad guys than what we've seen up to this point. Do, 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 do you know what I mean when I say that, Stephen? Do, do you understand where I'm... Yeah. Um, I, you know... Um, Sometimes evil is the least uh, um, interesting thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, you know, evil is just evil. You know, right? It, uh, and uh, some and 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 uh, you know, uh, a positive life. Good, you know, goodness is a whole lot more interesting sometimes. Um, even though, you know, you can't tell it from our entertainment. Uh, you know, 
often uh, the bad guy is the, you know, what's the most interesting character in a Batman movie? You know, it's going to be the bad guy, right? Um, yeah, exactly. But, well, uh, but in these books, it seems like the, uh, the more interesting uh, character in, in the Bob books is the various Bobs. Yeah. Well, B- Bob is interesting. We meet some we meet some aliens that are good and we like them. Right. And initially they're being persecuted by some you know, literally hunted down for food by some bad aliens that we don't like, right? And it's like, okay, well, I'll accept that once on one planet. And then in the second book, we've got the whole thing playing out on a much larger scale, right? Right. And 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 I'm saying, Bob, you are going to be spreading out to the whole galaxy, you know, over thousands of years, and you're going to be running into a lot of interesting potential conflicts between living things. I want to see something more complicated than, well, here's good, and then there's, these guys are bad. So, because where I feel like, and I think this will be very unfortunate, where I feel like the third book is going to take us is just a complete, we need to do, totally destroy this bad civilization, right? And I understand, you know, it's like, granted, you can see why you would say that, but that's not great, Bob. If you're, you know, you're going to go around the galaxy um, picking the picking the winners and losers. Um, Bob becomes what he was afraid he was going to become on that first planet, which is, you know, the Bob, right? The, you know, the yeah, um, the, the the great god Bob. That, he didn't no, the great god do, Bob. He, who's going to? He didn't want to do that. Who's going to decide uh, the fate of the whole universe? So I, I would say, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping that um, that it gets a little more nuanced as we as we proceed. And also, I'd like to see him cover a lot more time. <laughs> well, we, the third book comes out when? I think it's uh, like later this year. Uh, yeah, he's cranking he, them out. He's cranking sure. them out. He's really cranking them out. So we'll, well, it won't take long for us to know. Okay. So, Rada, these are on uh, Audible, so you ought to get caught up. Um, awesome. <laughs> I have six credits, so three are six going Six credits? <laughs> oh, I could never build that many credits. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, yes, you, th- those are pretty quick listens. You should uh, you should definitely get those get those two books. And when we get the third one, we'll have you back on, and we'll see if uh, if Stephen was right with I'll his positive review. Or, or I, I was right with my to, to counter Phil. I enjoyed the second one as well as the uh, first. I, I, I find that it's it's so different from any other sci-fi I've ever you know listened to or or, or read or anything. It's uh, I mean it's it's a unique take on. Uh, on us getting out there in the universe, uh, the, von, the von Neumann take. Uh, it's like 2001, but with personality, right? Yeah, kind of. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very interesting. Bob, Bob has a very distinct personality, and each of his each of his clones do too. And and there's some hope now in the third book that maybe a woman might join the Bobiverse, which that's right. Yeah. If she does. I'd be I hope they, with that album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope they make. She starts reproducing very quickly, so that they need a lot of copies of her and. <laughs> Yeah. And some other women as well. Uh, yeah, Adam needs Eve. He sure you know, would probably be a good idea. Sure. Okay, well, this show has gone longer than we normally go, but uh, that's, well, that's, what happens. that's what happens when you have fun. Rada, thank you so much for being with us. It's uh, it's oh, great so talking to you again. Fun to talk to and you guys again. Thanks for having me on. Let's not wait three years, okay? Yeah. Before next time. For sure. Let's, let's do that sooner. Stephen, okay. uh, thanks a lot. Uh, always great talking with you. We're going to be back with, we don't know how many new shows next week. We've got kind of a long holiday weekend interfering with our, uh, with our planning for, for next week, but we will be back with one or two shows. I think we can safely say next week. So look forward to being with you all then. We'll also have some best of programs happening as well. So till next time, live to see it. 